The following audio is from Christ Presbyterian Church in Nashville, Tennessee, where our mission is to follow Christ and His mission of loving people, places, and things to life. For more information about Christ Presbyterian Church, please visit ChristPres.org. Thank you, Melanie. Well, we are finishing up this series that we started right after Thanksgiving, A Weary World Rejoices, where we're in the book of Isaiah, walking through uh, Advent, and Advent is just wrapped up, but here on this last Sunday of the year, we're going to use this as an opportunity to, um, to kind of conclude the year with what is one of the most soaring and beautiful uh, and pointed passages about Jesus Christ in the Old Testament, Isaiah 53. And so I'm going to read the passage and then we will unpack it together. From Isaiah 53 verses 1 through 6. Who has believed what he has heard from us? And to whom has the arm of the Lord been revealed? For he grew up before him like a young plant and like a root out of dry ground. He had no form or majesty that we should look at him, no beauty that we should desire him. He was despised and rejected by men, a man of sorrows and acquainted with grief, as one from whom men hide their faces. He was despised and we esteemed him not. Surely he has borne our griefs and carried our sorrows. Yet we esteemed him stricken, smitten by God, and afflicted. But he was pierced for our transgressions, and he was crushed for our iniquity. And upon him was the chastisement that brought us peace. And with his wounds we are healed. All we like sheep have gone astray. We have turned every one to his own way. And the Lord has laid on him the iniquity of us all. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, it is December 27th. Two days ago was Christmas. And here in Nashville, and if you were watching the news from, I think, just about anywhere in the world, you saw that a bomb went off in our city. Uh, in downtown Nashville on 2nd Avenue right between church and commerce. And I've been to that place many times. It's, uh, uh, it's right, right in front of uh, one of those Brazilian steakhouses where they bring the little skewers of meat around. It was right in front of that and the old spaghetti factory and the Wild Horse Saloon and the Fizz candy store and... Uh, you know, folks in Nashville, that downtown is, is uh, it's embedded into our understanding of where it is that we live. It's a very unique place. It's our, it's our Bourbon Street. It's our Rodeo Drive. It's, it's our, uh, it, it's, it's the place where, it's our, it's our Miracle Mile. Uh, and, and it's a place that everybody in Nashville knows and has been to. It's lined with honky-tonks and boot and western wear stores and restaurants and, and bars. And I remember a number of years ago walking through downtown 
on a Tuesday morning. I was down there for some reason for, on a Tuesday morning. It was about 11 a.m. And I decided that I was just going to count as I walked about three blocks down Broadway uh, to Second Avenue near where this explosion happened. I was going to count the number of places where live music was happening in that three-block stretch. And I was in the double digits quickly. And this was an 11 a.m. on a Tuesday. That's our city. People know it. People love this part of our town. People come from all over the world to experience Broadway. And if you're from here, it's just a part of what we know. We, we know that we live in a city where live music is happening all the time. Kids who grow up around here and experience the downtown part of our city, in their minds, they imagine that live music is what happens in any downtown because it's what happens in theirs. And these kinds of things get embedded into our memories and our imaginations and we we just take them for granted as a part of the rhythm of the way that we live. And this explosion has done some structural damage to buildings that have stood for well over 100 years in that stretch there. And one of the concerns that we're all feeling is what will the long-term ramifications be for the structural integrity of those buildings? Will, will the downtown that people know and love remain structurally intact or will these old places that are just part of the fabric of who we are have to be taken down and new structures built in their place. I was thinking about that when I was thinking about the passage that we're talking about this morning because I think wherever you're from, you have a a certain sense of the way things work, of the rhythm of your place, of your city, of your Town. If you grew up in the 1950s, there would have been certain things in the small town that were just a part of it. The sheriff, the mayor, the soda fountain, the principal of the elementary school, the town square, the barber shop. These things that would have just been part of it. Think of the town that you grew up in. Think of the personalities. Think of the figures who were there. Maybe the local politicians. Maybe, maybe the, um, the, the shop owners that you got to meet and you got to know. They become a part of the fabric of, of who you are, right? They become a part of what you understand about your life. For Israel, <clears throat> one of the things that they understood was that they lived in a culture of sacrifice, It was part of the rhythm. It was part of what they knew. And so instead of honky-tonks and boot stores, they had a tabernacle and they had tents and they had stone buildings instead of nativity scenes on courthouse lawns and garland-laced lamp streets, lamp posts, they had blood on the doorposts of their homes at Passover. And I think about the children growing up in that time. Because children want to know, they want to understand why are things the way that they are. They have inquisitive minds. And living in a culture of sacrifice would have raised a lot of questions for children. They wanted to make sense of the, the, the messiness 
and the perpetual practice of sacrifice. And so they would ask a lot of questions about the process. In fact, in Exodus chapter 12, they're, they're told to ask questions about worship and why people do what they do. And as their parents answered these questions, I imagine that the priests, the priests in particular, would have held this, this kind of mysterious presence in the mind of a child, these people who were responsible for carrying out the sacrifices that were then offered to the Lord, these burnt offerings, these, these, these sacrificial offerings. Because the priests, they had this job that was both holy and bloody. And they, they must have smelled like that iron-rich scent of blood and smoke. It must have been in their garments as they walked down the streets. And the children must have regarded them with a sense of, of reverence and a sense of fear. And they would have been respected in the community. Because these were the people who stood before God on their behalf. We catch a glimpse of the work of the priests in the book of Hebrews. I'm going to read a couple of passages from the book of Hebrews over the course of this brief message this morning. But in Hebrews chapter 9, here's a little bit of a description of the role of the priests. Hebrews 9, 6, and 7. The priests entered regularly into the outer room to carry out their ministry, but only the high priest entered the inner room, and that only once a year and never without blood, which he offered for himself and for the sins of the people, the sins the people had committed in ignorance. And so this priest's work was certainly intriguing, the role that he held. And so was his workplace, because his workplace was the tabernacle. It was the focal point. It was the spiritual center. It was the heart of the Israelite culture. And the tabernacle's designer was God himself. You read about it in Exodus, you read about it in Leviticus, you read about it in Deuteronomy, God describing how the tabernacle is going to be built. And there was a peculiar feature about the tabernacle. And that was, even though it was the workplace of the priest, there was no chair there. There was no place for the priest to sit. Why is that? Well, the answer is because the priest's job was never done. It was never done. His work was holy, it was vitally important, and it was never finished. God's people lived in this culture. They lived in a culture of sacrifice. They were people who spoke the language of sacrifice. And so when we see the passage that we just read today from Isaiah 53, it is written in the language of sacrifice, of this bloody process of atoning for the sins of the people. It's the language of sacrifice that permeates Judah's discussion as a nation so much that it shows up in the words of the prophet because they get it. 
writing long after the Exodus, when Isaiah describes the one who would deliver the people of God who were now in captivity, he uses language of sacrifice and he describes our deliverer as not a priest, but as a sacrifice. As a sacrificial lamb who would bear the punishment that would bring us peace. And it tells us that he would remain silent and that he would take it willingly. That his wounds would heal us. That he would be like a lamb, like a sacrificial lamb. And the lamb is, of course, Jesus. And he's the one who would atone for the sins of the people and deliver them. And we have to remember that the blood in the sacrifice was not some superstitious attempt to keep evil forces or demonic spirits at bay. But the blood was actually to satisfy the wrath of God himself. And so Jesus, our perfect sacrifice, whose birth we celebrate at Christmas, would bear the punishment that would bring us peace with God. Something that people growing up in a culture of sacrifice would have understood. They would have understood that this is the whole point of the sacrifices. is to show contrition and to have a substitute dying in our place for sins that we bear, the wage of which is death. Jesus would be that for us, our suffering servant. And in these verses that we read, the first three, verses one through three, really describe for us the humanity of Jesus. And then the next three, verses four through six, talk about the affliction that he would endure. These first three verses tell us that while Jesus was one with the Father and is one with the Father, he was also in every way human. There's mystery here, friends. There's so much mystery here in the dual nature of Christ who was fully God and fully man. Church councils have convened and volumes have been written on this subject of the dual nature of Christ. But what Isaiah is laboring to make us see here is that this servant of the Lord that he's talking about, this suffering servant of the Lord will be in every way ordinary in human appearance. His birth will be like a root out of dry ground. It'll be almost unnoticed by everyone. He won't be unusually handsome. He won't be taller than everybody else. He will have no beauty that will draw people to him, nor will he have, Isaiah tells us, an easy life. His life will be filled with sorrow so much that he will be a man of sorrows. And people will despise him. And then verses four, and six, four through six talk about his affliction. This servant will take upon himself our grief. He will carry our sorrow. Yeah, powerful people will bring pain into his last days, but they won't be the ones to crush him. God will be the one to do that. And verse 4 says, the suffering servant will be smitten, how? By God. And afflicted. He'll be wounded. Why? 
Why would God do this? He will be wounded for our transgressions. He will be crushed for our iniquity. And the punishment that will bring us peace will be laid upon him. And by his stripes, we will be healed. This is the reason why we celebrate the incarnation. Is God became one of us. To absorb on our behalf the wage of sin. Why would he do this? Because we've all gone astray. And because we all deserve the displeasure of God. But this passage tells us that's not how the story will end. God will lay on his servant the iniquity of his people. And his suffering servant Jesus will take God's wrath for our sin upon himself. And to that we have to say, what an incredible gift. When we look at the manger, when we look at the birth of Jesus, when we look at Jesus coming into this world, we are looking at God's extraordinary gift, the gift of his son, Jesus. And we're looking at the gift of all he would teach. And we're looking at the gift of all the miracles that he would perform and all the inspiration that he would proclaim to every nation throughout every generation. Because of that gift, God has given us not only a priest, but he's given us a sacrifice to atone for our sins by means of a blood holier than a lamb's. This is where the story gets really good. Hebrews chapter 9, 11 through 14 talks more about this priestly sacrificial ministry of Christ. Hear what it says. This is 11 through 14, Hebrews 9. When Christ came as high priest, he went through the greater and more perfect tabernacle that is not man-made. He did not enter by means of the blood of calves, but he entered the most holy place once and for all by his own blood, having obtained eternal redemption. The blood of bulls and ashes sprinkled on those who are ceremonially unclean sanctify them so that they're outwardly clean. How much more then will the blood of Christ who through the eternal spirit offered himself unblemished to God, cleanse our consciences from acts that lead to death so that we may serve the living God. As we head into a new year, behold the tenderness of Jesus and his purposefulness to atone for your sin. We're going to be starting next week a new sermon series, the first Sunday of the year, called Jesus, Studies in Mark's Gospel. And we're going to be looking at the ministry of Jesus in the Gospel of Mark. And I can't wait for us to get into that. But as we look at that, as we look at the purposefulness of the ministry of Jesus Christ, one of the things that we see is that God has done business with us. He's done business with our sin and, are not, and not only are we then spared and not only has his judgment passed over us, but his wrath has been satisfied 
in the life and the death and the resurrection of Jesus. Because of Jesus' atoning work, God's judgment has been poured out once and for all. Christmas is wrapped up in that statement, just as is Easter. What was accomplished when Jesus was pierced for our transgressions and crushed for our iniquities and the punishment that brought us peace was upon him and by his wounds we are healed? What's at the heart of this season? Hebrews chapter 10, verses 11 and 12 brings us full circle. And it gives us this astounding picture. We see here that the absence of a place for the priest to sit was no accident. It says this. Every priest stands daily at his service. Offering repeatedly the same sacrifice. Which can never take away sins. But when Christ had offered for all time a single sacrifice for sins, he sat down at the right hand of God. That's amazing. That's amazing. There is a more perfect tabernacle, the throne room of God, And in it, there's a chair. And it's a chair for our high priest. And in that chair sits Jesus, who brought us peace with God, and by his wounds we are healed. And no amount of lessons learned can ever be a substitute for worshiping at the feet of of Jesus, which is our desire for everybody who's a part of Christ Presbyterian Church, that we would be worshipers, worshipers in community who are serving in the name of Christ. You know, we live in a time where when you get the news that there was a large explosion at 6.30 in the morning in downtown Nashville on Christmas. You don't assume it was an accident. You don't. Because we live in a culture where people blow things up intentionally. We live in a culture of terror and fear and anger and politicized vitriol that turns to violence. We live in a culture where people are so at odds with each other that they want to destroy one another. We don't know why yet. It's only two days. We don't really know why this explosion happened. But there aren't people sitting around thinking there was probably no reason for it because we live in a culture where we know that people do things like this for reasons that are strong enough inside of them to motivate them to cause destruction and to incite fear into the heart of a city and a nation and a world it's what we know but in the coming kingdom 
the one where we are at peace with God because of the atoning sacrifice of Christ. This will not be. It will end forever. There will be no more mourning, crying, death, tears, pain, terrorism, violence. The old order of things will have passed away. And all things will be made new. This is the promise of the gospel. And the reason we can have hope in this promise is because of what Christ himself has done. So as we head into a new year, may we remember that he is making all things new. And the old order of things will pass away. And what he gives us will be everlasting, unshakable. And he will reign at the center and we will worship him in perfect peace forever and ever. And I look forward to that. And I look forward to seeing you all in this room again very soon. Let me pray. Father, thank you for this passage in Isaiah where we remember and we see the magnificence of what Christ came to do. Father, we thank you that at the heart of our faith, that at the heart of Christianity, is not a bunch of morality tales and not a bunch of lessons and not a bunch of commands to observe, but is a great high priest who is also at the same time our sacrifice and a perfect sacrifice who atones for us, who doesn't just tell us how to live perfectly, but lives perfectly for us in our place, who doesn't just tell us that the wage of sin is death, but he takes that wage upon himself and dies in our place. Father, we thank you for that gift. Lord, we pray for our city. We pray that you would bring resolution to this case. We pray that you would bring justice. We pray that you would, uh, that you would restore and heal uh, structurally our city and that you would heal emotionally and spiritually and psychologically our city and our nation as things like this continue to happen. And Lord, we, we ask that you would hasten your return to usher in this kingdom where these things are not normal and they're not what we know, but they're what we maybe remember as something that used to happen but doesn't anymore when all things are made new. And we thank you for your kindness and your grace to us. It's in your name, Jesus, we pray. Amen. Amen. Let's sing a closing song together, Man of Sorrows.
benediction as we prepare to go from this place. The Lord bless you and keep you. The Lord make his face to shine upon you and be gracious to you. The Lord lift his countenance upon you and give you peace in the matchless name and in the finished work of Jesus Christ, our great high priest and our perfect atoning sacrifice. Amen. Let's sing the doxology together. Praise God from whom all blessings flow. Praise Him, all creatures here below. 
Praise Him above ye heavenly host. Praise Father, Son, and Holy Ghost. Amen. Have a great Sunday and Happy New Year, Christ Prez, Cool Springs. We'll see you next week.